Green Mountain Chronicles was originally produced for radio by the Vermont Historical Society in the 1980s. We're re-releasing them today as retro podcasts. Please note that any resources the podcast recommends may be out of date. We recommend you check out our website, vermonthistory.org, for the most up-to-date information. Green Mountain Chronicles number 23, the 4-H in Vermont. We used to sing, who are, who are, who are we? 4-H, 4-H, can't you see? (laughs) Ah. 1914, Congress passes legislation to further the advancement of agriculture, and money is channeled to the fledgling Vermont Extension Service to organize boys' and girls' clubs to teach young people to raise crops and animals and demonstrate how to save surplus products by canning. The thrust of these clubs is summed up in four words, head, heart, health, and hands. Under the leadership of Elwyn Daddy Ingalls, these 4-H clubs begin springing up all across Vermont. We're in Boys and Girls Club before it was 4-H. And uh, then our Idle Knot Canning Club was organized and named. Anna Fenton of Middletown Springs has been involved in 4-H for more than 50 years, first as a member of one of the state's original clubs and later as an adult club leader. That first four years was in canning, canning for the uh, gardens that boys and girls were putting out. Home canning and community canning kitchens were part of the 4-H win-the-war effort during World War I. While girls and their mothers canned surplus crops for home and abroad, boys concentrated on producing food for market. By the end of the war, 4-H was branching out to include other activities. At first we took uh, uh, clothing. Addie Kelsey of Newport was a 4-H member as a teenager in the 1920s. One of the highlights of that experience was a trip to White River Junction for the Twin States Fair. I was chosen as a delegate to go and I took my dress I made. I can see just how it looked. It had a little turn-back collar, two pockets at the bottom of a little kick pleat. So it was other kids that brought in things, too, and all the things that we'd done were hung up on the sides of the uh, walls so that they could be judged. And I got a prize on my dress, <laughs> and I was very proud of it. The fairs and field day competitions were the climax of the 4-H'ers year. Equally important, as Kelsey recalls, 4-H offered young people social opportunities that extended beyond their own communities. We would get together every little while. We called it the Roundup, the 4-H Roundup. And we would all meet from Brownington, Orleans, Albany, uh, Barton, Coventry, and Newport. And it would be quite a crowd. And we'd have a big dinner, and we would eat a little, and then we'd sing. We used to sing uh, one song, Monday soup, Tuesday roast beef, Wednesday. <laughs> we had a wonderful time. And the good times continued. In 1929, the first 4-H camps opened in Vermont. I went to camp in a big house called Dunrovin Manor in Sharon. Harriet Wheatley Riggs, now of Richmond, was a 4-H member during the 1930s. They always sang songs at uh, the table. And if anyone came in late, they would sing You're Always Behind, just like the old cow's tale. They would sing other fun songs like Frog Went According, and it isn't any trouble just to S-M-I-L-E. It isn't any trouble just to S-M-I-L-E. If ever you're in trouble, it will vanish like a bubble if you only take the trouble just to S-M-I-L-E. As the nation moved into World War II, 4-H'ers returned to patriotic activities, from collecting scrap metal to raising victory gardens. And in the years since the war, club activities have continued to reflect the spirit of the times. 
The number of farms has decreased dramatically in recent years, and the 4-H population has changed too. By 1980, fully one-fourth of the state's 4-H members came from towns with a population of more than 10,000 residents. Among the attractions for the non-farm kids are projects that teach about environmental issues, computers, and babysitting, in addition to those that concentrate on the latest techniques in crop and livestock production and the homemaking arts. Through all the changes, longtime 4-H enthusiasts see an organization that reflects both contemporary interests and traditional values, such as working with other people and seeing their point of view. Maybe I didn't always think it's just right, but had a chance to see what they thought. And I think anyone is much better to be able to do that. At any time when the 4-H was mentioned, I'd always say, well, I belong to it. And it was one of the best times that I ever had. It gave us uh, uh, something to think about. Thanks for listening. This podcast was remastered by me, Amanda Gustin, and released by the Vermont Historical Society. If you've enjoyed it, please subscribe to get future episodes and rate and review it. Please also check out our website, vermonthistory.org, where you can find background information on these episodes, as well as other ways you can learn about Vermont history from home. The Vermont Historical Society relies on support from generous donors to preserve and share Vermont's stories. During these uncertain times, your support is needed now more than ever. Please consider donating today at vermonthistory.org slash donate.